Welcome everyone, you are tuned in to the inaugural episode of the No Pucks Given Podcast. I'm your host Dustin Lumberg with my co-host Kendall Grubbs. Kendall. Hello, hello. So what's up man, what are we doing here? Tell the people what we're doing here. <laughs> well, we're, we're finally embarking on a project that we've been talking about for how many years now? Five, six years? Um, it goes back pretty far, not quite as far as our friendship does and and the amount of time that we've spent uh, watching this game together and, and talking about it. But I think that's the general basis of this podcast is for you and I to get on here and have the same type of conversations that we've had over all these years, but actually record it. Yeah, like three, four days a week. <laughs> three, four days a week. I'm not sure we're going to be able to pump that amount of content out on the podcast, but you never know. Uh, we're hoping that... We find a home here, mix amongst the podcast that we listen to daily. There's a lot of smart hockey people, a lot of funny people that we lean on for this for this information. Um, and really, we're not really trying to, to one-up anybody. We're trying to join the community, have our say, and hopefully you find it intriguing and, and insightful and, and helpful uh, to better your understanding of the game, uh, potentially get into some fantasy talk at some point during the year, we're a little late on that as we're nearing the, the playoffs, which is kind of hard to believe and kind of funny that, that this is now the time that we're starting our podcast is at the end of the regular season. But could it be any better? I mean, what's better than playoff hockey? Not a whole lot. No, sir. But uh, speak, Speaking of which, we should probably just get right up into it here. I think that's the um, best thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for starters, the biggest news, uh, Steven Stamkos uh, discovered Oof. a blood clot in his collarbone, and he's going to be out for a month, three months, and they've already lost uh, Anton Strawman for the, the actually kind of an undefined period. I, I read an article earlier saying he, he's, he's, he's trying as hard as he can to come back, but that tibia fracture is no joke. So, yeah, yeah that he's probably done. He's probably done. <laughs> Initially, it was four to six weeks. Uh, which, you know, obviously puts him out for the duration of the regular season. But how deep that goes into the postseason is unknown. You know, we've seen impact players, especially on the blue line for some reason, which I do find interesting, come back a lot sooner than what they were initially projected. Players like Nicholas Cronwall, for example, who was supposed to be out for much longer, but then all of a sudden he's back uh, in the meaningful games, helping get the Red Wings into the playoffs and continue the streak. That's something that we can touch on a little bit later in the show. But right now, the focus is on Steven Stamkos and Anton Strahlman. And what do they do now? Well, they well, you're going to see Jonathan Juan come up, but he's at, he actually missed the Syracuse, Syracuse Crunch's last game <clears throat> with an injury. So, But that doesn't seem to be serious. But you definitely he'll definitely be up. But given the circumstances and what's going on with that team, with Eiserman and Druin, uh don't know how that's going to go, but he's definitely going to get an opportunity. I mean, a big uh, t- top six hole, if not the hole, opened up for him. <clears throat> and Druin can play center. He was drafted as a center, so I don't know if he'll take over that that slot where Stamkos is or on the wing and they, they figure something else out. But uh, Druin will slide up in there. It'll be real interesting to see how they play Jonathan Drew in. Um, honestly, I, I think 
the onus right now is on John Cooper. You know, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not John Cooper is at the root of some of the problems that the Tampa Bay Lightning have experienced over the last couple of years. Martin St. Louis comes to mind, obviously the Drew End situation, and then the inability to lock up Steven Stamkos, the franchise player, uh, beyond this season. Now, there's plenty of reasons why Steven Stamkos would want to enter free agency, but what this injury does in regards to Stamkos's future with the Tampa Bay Lightning, it adds another element to the whole discussion that we've had over the last, well, I guess the whole duration of the season. We've all been waiting to see what would happen, and now it almost makes it a little bit easier in some regards. But back to John Cooper, when you look at a coach like Claude Julien, well-respected coach across the National Hockey mm-hmm. League for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. what Claude Julien was able to do was take a, a roster that you and myself and, and many other smart hockey people were, were claiming to be well out of the playoffs. No way they're going to make it in. And what he did is he, he changed the way he coached that team. He went from a de- defensive structure to an offensive structure and got that team scoring goals. All of a sudden, it was the power play that was getting them into the playoffs. Now, that might change. That you know, Thankfully for the Red Wings, they're losing of late. But what John Cooper has to do is utilize his players differently than he has this season in order to succeed. Um, the biggest hit, in my opinion... Right now is Tampa Bay special teams. They're currently 25th in, in power play percentage. Doesn't sound too great, but you got to consider the fact that Tyler Johnson hasn't been Tyler Johnson this season, and the secondary scoring has had a different look to it. What they're doing well in is penalty kill percentage. They're currently 5th in the league. So 25th in power play, 5th in penalty kill. What's the biggest hit between Strawman and Stamkos? In my opinion as much as this might sound odd, I think Strawman might be the biggest hit. Hedman and Strawman have one of the, the league's best pairings defensively. They can transition the puck out of the zone. They make things happen. Now that changes. And what I've noticed from John Cooper this season in particular is his usage of his players. Victor Hedman is an elite number one defenseman, yes? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a really yeah. great defenseman. He's sitting 34th amongst all NHL defensemen in total time on ice. 34th. But that, you at, see, that's, that's not a bad thing given what they're going to have to go through because they're going to have to spread some time around and he'll get some increased time, which isn't a terrible thing. I mean, we saw last year with the Blackhawks in the finals when they, had, they were trotting out one-legged Timo Kiemenin and uh, Kyle Comiskey. You mm-hmm. know, like they were having to distribute ice time. And uh, having to also increase Duncan Keith and Seabrook's time, and it was a, it was a disaster. Like the, I, I get that they won the cup still, but it was painful to watch on the back end. It was not it was not good. It was <laughs> the, given the fact given the fact that uh, Hedman doesn't get as much ice time as you think he would get. They should be able to shift some of that weight on him, and they should be able to alleviate some of the pressure. Yeah, and and just like this being a, a true definition of John Cooper's coaching abilities. Victor Hedman is going to have to shoulder the the weight and carry this team with an increased amount of responsibilities, an increased amount of ice time. And from what we know about Victor Hedman, he's capable of doing this. So it might oh, yeah. not it might not be that terrible. The only problem is is that 
what we're going to have to see happen from Tampa Bay's blue line in particular is that next step from your young players like Andre Schuster. Uh, he'll be leaned on much more heavily in, in penalty kill time. And a guy like Nikita Nesterov, who, you know, at times he looks amazing, uh, he'll have to see more power play time. And you're talking about the power play with Nesterov. It was funny because last year they – remember in the playoffs last year – uh, they carried they carried him as a seventh defenseman and only used him on the power play. It was really mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, well, you know, he has the ability just have to see a regular role, but yeah, well, he's got the ability to join the rush, and you know that's Tampa's game. That was Tampa's game last year with speed. They could break into the offensive zone and get things done. Now, without Stamkos, that depth scoring takes a hit. So. How do you feel, and everyone's talking about it, how do you feel about Tyler Johnson becoming the new number one center in Tampa and the triplets line reconnecting? Can they spark that same type of, of magic that they did last season? Can they get it done as Tampa Bay's true top scoring line? They're, they're going ha- to have to because you, what you can't do is what you, what you can't do is recall John Drouin because John Drouin spent a great amount of time after he was suspended just chilling in Montreal just sitting there not playing any hockey Mm -hmm. um what's good to know is that in his last 11 games with Syracuse he scored nine goals so he's he's still got it you know he's got the scoring touch but what you can't do going into the playoffs only three games left in the season is throw him on that top line give him 17 minutes a night and expect him to fucking do that right off right off the hop like going into the play like if we were talking 20 games left in the season yeah he could develop into that role but that's not going to happen just jumping into the playoffs so what you're gonna what you're gonna look for is for Johnson the triplets line to become that top line and if you got to slot Drew in in there as he can slide in as your as your winger on the second line maybe get that that 13 minute mark and hopefully he sticks there because if he doesn't, they're they're boned. Like they're they, they need that secondary scoring because the triplets line or or specifically Johnson that was the secondary scoring. Mm-hmm. That secondary <clears throat> that secondary scoring is going to become the primary scoring. So now they're going to have to semi look for it in other areas and hopefully John Druan can slide in and play decent minutes and get that in. It'll be real interesting to see what happens. Uh, Valtteri, Valtteri Filppula becomes the inevitable number two center. His player usage changed dramatically from one season to the next. And two years ago, <clears throat> he was put in the offensive zone, came out with 48 points, looked like a, a $5 million player. Um, this season, John Cooper's used him quite differently. He's... Uh, defensive-minded guy. He's he's played in the defensive zone uh, almost in, on every shift. His points totals have dropped dramatically. The, the good news for me, though, is that there is a natural chemistry between he and Alex Kalorn that, that worked last year. Um, Kalorn is, is a versatile winger that can play with anybody. We've seen him play with Stamkos. We've seen him play with Johnson. We've seen him play with Philpola. And you can kind of plug him in, in anywhere in the lineup and, and get good production. But the issue for me is is when Philpola becomes your second line center and you put him up with Kalorn and say a Ryan Callahan or a JT Brown, that has to be your shutdown line because you're going to get your offense out of the triplets line, uh, at least at home anyways. 
and Philpola is going to have to be able to shut it down defensively on that second line and then look for your secondary scoring from, again, just like we mentioned, uh, Schuster and Nesterov, Vladislav Nemesnikov. You know, he hasn't been given the reins in the offensive zone to really show what he's got. We've seen we've seen it. He, he has the ability, but I think now is the time for Nemestikov to step it up and contribute offensively. Uh, as far yeah. as Druin's concerned, I, I couldn't agree with you more. They got to get him in. They have to bury the hatchet. I mean, the guy was drafted to score. Put up 242 points in 124 games in the queue with Nathan McKinnon. Um, it, the kid's oozing with with offensive acumen. He's he's excellent. Now, will that translate into NHL success? It's hard to say because he was given sheltered minutes when he was up, and he was playing with one of the league's best pure goal scorers, maybe only second to Alex Ovechkin. So, can he do that with a guy like Valfopola? Mm. Vladimir Nestikov, possibly, but they have to try it. They have to. I think he'll be fine. I think uh, based on what you just brought up, I, I, w- I would say that my my biggest my biggest issue is that if you've got Kalorn and Philpola up on your second line, I mean, what are you doing in your bottom six? Yeah, it's like, it's a little what, scary. What are you doing? And they, I mean, i I get that I get that you got Boyle and I get that you got some other pieces down there, but I mean. Eric Condra. That's scary Condra's because it come, uh, come become Condra's been very good for them, and a lot of people laughed at that when there was all the talk before he got signed. Like, <laughs> you know, whatever. Eric Condra didn't work out in Ottawa. Um, well, nothing works in Ottawa. But 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 we but we both know that uh, your bottom six is what gets it done in the postseason, just like your defense. That so, it does. I mean, that's pretty thin. That's, it's pretty thin. It looks pretty thin. It looks so, pretty thin. But so, um, no, go ahead, man. Go ahead. No, well, you're good. What you're I was going to say is, we've gotten through the top three lines, and we've kind of we've kind of touched on the fourth line there with with Condra and Boyle um, being the the headliners down on that bottom line. Cedric Paquette, you know, they have those those types, big bodies that can crash and bang. They can win faceoffs. Um, they can bring it on the penalty kill but if tampa bay now they're a playoff team if tampa bay gets in today they face who detroit they should face detroit and detroit's got their own case of troubles and we've been talking long enough so i don't think we should get too much into detroit here because that's a whole <laughs> other discussion it is uh, as a uh, full full disclosure to to all you listeners uh we're both diehard Red Wings fans, and I don't really feel like getting into all that. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's fine. That's fine. We are, um, um, but but um, they, th- I mean, if that bottom six holds up, which they totally could, if that bottom six holds up, um, what you ju- you just listed off the names, and it's not uncommon. Like we we've seen uh, like a couple years ago with uh, with the Kings, you know, like they had uh, Clifford and Jordan Nolan and Trevor Lewis, like. They had guys like that that we had no idea who they were. Uh, Dwight King, like, you know what I mean? Like we we were saying the same thing about the Kings a couple of years ago. Like they called those guys up from Manchester like last second, right before the playoffs, and they did damage. It it held up and it worked. And like that can it could happen for the Lightning. That's just my biggest. That's my biggest question mark. Mm-hmm. And but but if they do end up playing Detroit in the first round, I mean. <laughs> 
I just went to a Red Wings game a couple weeks ago and watched them play the Jets, who were pretty lowly, and <laughs> anybody could take take Detroit out. I mean, like if Tampa plays Detroit, they could get they could get past the first round. It can happen. It's not a secret. I mean, they could end up playing the Panthers too. I think that's also a possible scenario. Um, and they they could it could work. Uh, you know, the Panthers have Trocheck out. So, you know, and the Panthers just clinched. They just clinched, but uh, Tampa Bay could end up playing them. And and Trocheck is out. I don't really. Do you think that, you think they could take the Panthers in the first round? I don't. What do you think about the Panthers? <clears throat> what do you think about the Panthers right now going into the playoffs? They did just clinch. It's, I think I think they said it was the second or third time in 14 years the Panthers have actually made the playoffs. <laughs> but what do, you, what do you think about the Panthers going well, in here? Well, you know, the last time they made it out of the first round, right, was 95-96 when they went to the to the cup final. So it, it speaks to uh, the necessity for, for Florida to succeed. One more thing, I don't want to spend our entire show talking about Tampa Bay and Steven Stamkos, but this is, this is pretty big. Um, what does this do for Stamkos in the offseason in terms of what he decides to do? Does, does his non-existence in the postseason make it easier for him to transition out of Tampa Bay and go to a team like, oh, I don't know, pick a name out of a hat, Toronto, um, and, and sign with somebody else in the offseason? Well, or, or does it if skew you it? Make it? Does it skew it differently? If you want to make it easy, if you want to make it easy, <clears throat> I, honest, I honestly think it makes it easier for him to walk away. I really do. Um, I, I know there'll probably be some people that would say that um, – because he wasn't part of the Tampa Bay's run, and especially if Tampa Bay makes it to the second or third round, I'm sure you'll you'll get some voices saying that he would easily want to come back and make another push because they think they can do it. But they were just in the final last year. Mm. Within an earshot, though, I mean, they really could have, you know, a couple bounces go better, Bishop's better. Um, they, they really could have gotten it done last season, but... It's interesting that you say that. Uh, it, it does make me wonder. You know, I kind of had that that same battle, that inner battle, before the Stamkos injury. Is it a good thing for Tampa Bay if Stam if uh, the Lightning win with Stamkos, or is it a bad thing? You know, just in regards in, in getting him to re-sign. If he gets his cup, I've achieved it. I can move on. I can make my money. I can go home. I can go wherever I choose as a as a UFA, or Getting so close again, does that drive him to want to stay with Tampa Bay and succeed? And it'll be real interesting to see how it plays out. We can talk about all the possibilities for hours on end, but it does change this whole dynamic. And it's really interesting that it's all come to a head like this. It's it's not good news for Tampa Bay fans. It's not good news for Steven Stamkos or Steven Iserman. But it, it does put a real interesting spin on this at the very end of the season and it will be interesting to look back and reflect on all of these happenings and see exactly how it lined up and how it helped Steven Stamkos decide where he wants to spend likely the rest of his career. But back to the Panthers. I do, I, I... Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, did you have more to say on Stamkos? I was just going to say, I, I, I don't think it's much of a conversation. It's, it's either Tampa Bay or Toronto. You know, like... He wants to uh, uh, prideful guys like that. They want to play for their hometown team, especially the Mecca like Toronto. I honestly think that um, if it comes down to it, if he doesn't feel like he's got any more unfinished business in Tampa Bay, that he'll go to Toronto. 
because he has more endorsement opportunities and um, the way they've played, man, <laughs> no matter what kids they've shuffled, shuffled in and out the past couple weeks, they, they're on the right track. And I, I, I wouldn't, it really wouldn't surprise me to see Steve Stamkos uh, want to link up there. Mm-hmm. It really wouldn't. It, no. it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it would it would surprise anybody to see him go there. What would be a shock is if he didn't pick either of those teams and just took the highest bidder. But we'll North save North that Carolina. for later on. <laughs> we'll save that for later on in the offseason. But back to Trocek, you brought up a good point. Uh, Trocek, 22 years old, 25 goals and 53 points in 76 games. Solid two-way player, great scorer, playmaker. He's got it all except the ability to make game one of the postseason. Um, well, a- and then if you, if you, if you listen, if you want, if you look at the quote that Yager had, like once he went out, um, Yager was interviewed and he said, he's been our best player for two months. That's what pretty much what Yager said. He said, he's been our best player for two months and now someone's got to step up, but it's really, it's, it's too bad because that line's been our best line and he's been our best player. And when a guy like Yager, who's leading the team in points <laughs> says that, I mean, that, that speaks to his value. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we can kind of correlate this with Tampa and, you know, for more reasons than the fact that they both play in Florida. Um, we talk about coaching ability in in Tampa with John Cooper. Well, I've been pretty impressed with the way Florida has developed its centers. You know, down the middle, Florida the Florida Panthers look great. They're young. They can all play a 200-foot game. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and they've all been tasked with difficult minutes. Now, Nick Bugstad goes up from the third-line center to second line, where he's comfortable, where he's played before. But Bugstad's been playing more difficult minutes this season than he has before. And he's succeeded. He's done well. Um, possession-wise, Trocek is better. Points-wise, Trocek is better. But Bugstad is fully capable of coming in and taking that second-line center and doing the things that he needs to do to be successful. He's a big guy. Uh, and when when you got a big player that plays both sides of the puck and has a, a, a decent chemistry with a, a Jokinen and a Smith, um, things don't look too bad. <laughs> They're going to call up uh, Rocco Grimaldi uh, to to take the third line center role. Um, severely undersized player. I think he's tags in at five six. Um, however, he's also good defensively, and he's he's got a scoring touch. So the the Panthers organization has done a great job with their centers. Barkov is one of the best two-way centers in the league, and they're all extremely young. Things look great for Florida, and I'm not really scared he, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it, it all depends on that first-round matchup, man. It really does. And, I mean, we can speculate all we want. There's three games left. It, it really depends on who they draw. They could draw anybody. Um. Yeah, I know, which I know we don't want to beat that drum, but if they if if it ended today, they'd draw the Islanders, and the Islanders have had their own host of problems and injuries, and oh. just like we talked about Tampa, it, they they could have a lucky draw if they got the Islanders, they they could be I I I, I would I would take the Panthers in five or six over the Islanders. I honestly would. I, I think I they'd really walk would. them. I, I think that. I yeah they they'd walk them, and I, that'd be fine. But you know the, the, these last three the, the race is so tight. These last three games could really disrupt the order and who knows who they play but if depending on who the Panthers Panthers get they even without Trocek they'll be fine I mean that that's that center spot man even like on their fourth line you know like there's so many teams they've got that grizzled veteran on the fourth line you know got like a Derek McKenzie man like a guy like that is like 
mad and valuable. Absolutely. Uh, the, the the Panthers' loss of Trocek, or as, as hard as that is to swallow for Panthers fans, it doesn't compare to the loss of Travis Hamanick and Yaroslav Halak in, in Long Island, or Brooklyn, actually. <laughs> or, 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 or Stam Coast and Strawman out in Tampa. Oh, no doubt about it. Because there's... Like it, it's not as bad. Like they, they'll be fine. Like they, they've got guys clicking, and like mm-hmm. you said, they're strong down the middle. Even without Trocheck, you still got Bukestag and uh, Barkov. You know that's that's real strong. Like like you take Stamkos out of the picture, and like what do you what do you got down the middle in Tampa? <laughs> so it's tough. I think you know. Last last point on on Tampa Bay. It's something that I had wanted to bring up, but I think that. This is so important for Tampa Bay as an organization to evaluate their team without Steven Stamkos. And that's a pretty popular opinion. Everyone's saying that. Uh, But it is because they were never guaranteed to get Steven Stamkos back. And they need to know what this lineup looks like without him. And now they're going to find out. For sure. So now is the time to to evaluate yourself, figure out what you need to do in the offseason, regardless of, of what Steven Stamkos decides to do. And for the Panthers, just the fact that they're in the playoffs and these kids, they're all kids on this team, are going to get that that experience. And that's what they need to move forward. They don't have to win a cup this year. I don't think anyone's picking them. But they need that playoff experience, go through a round, go through two rounds, see what the postseason is like, and see what it takes to win in the postseason. And heck, if they if they match up against the Detroit Red Wings, you're talking about a team that's made the, the playoffs for, gosh, I should know this as a Red Wings fan, is it 24 years? 20, 23, I think. 20, 23, I think 23. 23 years uh, consecutive. To, to match up against a team like that with, with the veteran presence that they have and the experience that they have, if they can just keep the pace with them or knock them out, that's invaluable experience for these kids. So things look good in Florida. Things are a little bit murky in Tampa Bay, but I think we're going to get our answers, and it should be a pretty exciting offseason if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, regardless of what happens with Steven Stamkos. Well, okay. Well, if we want to jump to jump to teams that aren't in a, a situation where we want to see growth and see development, uh we're going to talk about the Blackhawks here. Patrick Kane. <laughs> yeah, we're, I think yeah. we're all done with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Patrick Kane, a lot of talk about him Him being a Hart Trophy. Uh, I mean, the, the, the finalists or nominations have not come out yet. But a lot of talk about him and whether or not he should be nominated for the Hart Trophy given his uh, offseason transgressions. Um. But I mean, he's eclipsed 100 points. Ooh. I mean, you know this new NHL. It's yeah. nobody. Most people aren't eclipsing 100 points. You know, it is it is what it is. And he's leading Jamie Ben by 12 points in the Art Ross race, which isn't the heart. We get that the heart is defined as the most valuable to their team. You know, and there's also that what is that the Ted Lindsay Award where the players vote on it or something like that. Like, yeah, something along those lines where they have their idea of who who should get that. But, um. I mean, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on on Kane as a legit heart candidate? I mean, it's pretty stupid to ask that question when the man's got a hundred points and he's got a rookie on his wing like Panarin. Panarin's just destroying it. <laughs> but I mean, I, but that team is what it is. Like, I mean, if, if you think about 
you think about other teams like Ben and Dallas, if you think about what Crosby's done to get Pittsburgh back, there was at one point where, where the Maple Leafs were on their knees praying that Pittsburgh made the playoffs because they want that first-round pick from the Kessel deal. <laughs> and then you got a guy like Holtby who's just crushing it. I mean, like, what are, you, what are your thoughts there on, on Kane as a, a Hart Trophy candidate? It's times like these that I'm glad the decision doesn't rest in my hands because it's such a tough call. Um, what do you have, small hands? <laughs> just, well, I could probably hold sorry. Kane. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the, all the players that you just mentioned are excellent candidates. Um, Braden Holtby, he's dominated this season. And you can talk about the dominance of the Washington Capitals roster all you want and point to Holpe's numbers as being a direct result of that. Now, sure, they can be. Sure, they can be a de- direct result. He's of, about uh, to crush Brodeur's record, man. And that's what I was getting into is when you're having a season that's challenging a Brodeur record, you've got to be in those talks. Now, all jokes aside, do you see the NHL actually nominating two goalies consecutively with Carey Price winning it last year and Braden Holpe winning it this year? I know it's kind of a silly approach, but when you've got guys like Sidney Crosby, who the NHL has picked as the face of their of their league, uh, having this season that he's having, especially in the manner that he's had it. But yeah. do you see them picking Holpe over Crosby in, in a situation like this? I personally don't. I, th- I think if, if it's between the two, I think Crosby gets it. And then again, you just like you look at the, the situation with Washington and Braden Holpe, you, you got to kind of diagnose Sidney Crosby. He hasn't been able, once again, to find a natural chemistry with another winger that they've brought in, in Phil Kessel. But what it speaks to is, is his pure dominance as a player. To be able to flip a switch. Hey, on, on, on top of that, I, I know it's digressing, but Phil Kessel's been turning it on for the past two and a half weeks. Kessel's mm-hmm. been gnarly for them the past couple weeks. Yes. And that's that's good news going into the postseason. Yeah. No. Phil Kessel's been sorry. sorry no, no, he's he he's no, he's come around. You're you're exactly right. And he's doing it next to, to Nick Benino of late. Um Oh yeah, he's been playing with Nick Benino, and I've I've watched a lot of that hockey, and Nick Benino and Kessel have been getting it done, and they've been playing with Carl Hagelin. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's kind of an interesting makeup. But I mean, Kessel and Hagelin are about as fast as each other, and Benino's a smart center. I mean, that's that's what you want. You want speed down the wings and a smart puck distributor in the middle, and it, it's starting to work for Kessel. Anyways, digressing. Crosby's been the reason that the Penguins. <laughs> have uh, turned it around here. Like I said, we were just just a month ago, we were talking about whether they'd make the playoffs or not, and now they, they've solidified that. Yeah, and your initial point with Patrick Kane, I think it's an unfortunate truth that the league as a whole is going to have to take a step back and look at what happened with Patrick Kane in the offseason before they make that call. Because you know the NHL is going to catch all sorts of flack if that's how it ends up going. Um, but Patrick Kane, I mean, if, if I had to pick one right now between those three players, and there are other players that, that enter this conversation for sure, but we'll just stick with these three for now. I've got to go with Patrick Kane. He's taken a rookie, albeit a very good rookie, and Artem Anisimov and just 
blown away the competition. If you look at Chicago Black, at the Chicago Blackhawks roster right they now, they haven't played that well. Well, they haven't played that well, and this season has a very different feel to it for me. And we can get more for into them. that. What for the for the Blackhawks? Yeah, you said the season has a different feel, and I said, yeah, for them, like it's just, it it does doesn't feel like a dominant Blackhawks season. No, it doesn't. But it's very. If you apparent. look at that Central Division. Oh yeah, no, they're they're gonna have a real tough time this year. I I firmly believe that. You know, we can we can deep diver. We can dive deeper. <laughs> there we go. Um, into deep dive into the Chicago Blackhawks' first round <laughs> matchup, which you know will become apparent very soon. But do you realize? I, I looked it up earlier because I I, I knew Kane was going to come up in this conversation. Um, Panarin, Anisimov, and Kane have combined for ninety two points, even strength this season. Ninety two points. The Taves line with Hosa on it 22 I mean that's that doesn't the, that honestly doesn't that doesn't surprise me I mean I'm not saying it's not great I just that doesn't surprise me well take it a step further if you eliminated Patrick Kane's goals from the Chicago Blackhawks this season just Patrick Kane's goals the Blackhawks would go from 6th in scoring to 29th in the NHL if, oh yeah if that, that, that doesn't surprise me either no but if that doesn't <laughs> Point to Patrick Kane being fully deserving of the Hart Trophy. I don't know what does. So, Patrick Kane's got my vote at this point in the season. I will play you devil's advocate. If I had to, if I had to give it to somebody, I'd give it to Jamie Ben. That that that's my guy. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, I don't I I don't disagree. I don't disagree with any points you just made. But Sagan's been out for a while, and. The telling, the telling stat, not even a stat, but the telling, the telling uh, factor is is the Dallas Stars have the most money tied into goaltending right now, and they just Niemi and Letton and they they've had good outings. Like I've watched plenty of Stars games where they're they're just fine, but it's not great, especially if if that's the most money being spent in the NHL on goaltending, and there's been times where that we that defense has been called atrocious. And especially when they when they're thinking about bringing like they they tried to swing a home run deal to bring in Chris Russell and Dan Hamuse. They wanted both of those guys at the deadline mm-hmm. because they weren't confident in their group. You know what I mean? They just weren't. They weren't confident in their group defensively. And a guy like Jamie Ben to to pace what he did in points as the captain, mind you, just like a Crosby, and have their point their goal scored per game and keep them where they're at. That's my guy, but that's neither here nor there. That's my well, guy. And it's it's two seasons consecutive that it's gone down like this, right? Where Tyler Sagan. Yeah, well, because, yeah, Sagan got injured last year. And, mm-hmm. and Ben, and didn't Ben win the Art Ross last year? Yes, he did. Well, yes, he, he won did. on the last day. He got like four points. I think he got four, four points. points. Yeah. Four points in the last game and won it. Like, and that, that, like I said, this doesn't even go back. Like you just said, that doesn't go back just this season. That's last season. Ben's carrying that franchise on his back. And as the captain, that's a good sign. And I, I, I like that. I like that a leader like that. I like that is. Pick and, too. I, and I, and I, and I, I do like that. I do like the fact of what Crosby's been doing. Like, I, I do like to see what Crosby's been doing. Absolutely. But if I was, if I was voting on the heart today, man, Ben would get my vote. But I guess that's not, I guess that's not the conversation we need to be having. I guess this goes back to, 
should Kane, uh, the, the biggest outrage in social media is should Kane even be nominated because of his, you know, offseason transgressions. But we're talking about most valuable to their team. It has nothing to do with social media, the community, anything of that. And uh, the other big debate has been Ryan O'Reilly receiving a Masterton <laughs> nomination from the Buffalo yes. media. And and the Masterson, Master, nah, Masterton uh, award is awarded to someone that displays, uh, what, what is it, uh, dedication and uh, resilience, or what, what is it, something, something along those lines? The ability to, to drive a truck directly into a Tim Hortons, yeah. It, it is it is it is a it is a hot topic right now and it's pretty funny to see resilience, the banter resilience yes yes it, it's pretty funny to see the banter back and forth especially between buffalo media and loyalists and uh some of our favorites like greg wasinski uh oh that's oh that shit is brutal <laughs> it's uh, a good mike time Harrington. i'll even I'll, I'll put his name out there mike harrington uh, uh and, and Greg Wyshynski. You just just go back on Twitter and, and look that up if for for your mind. That's that's nice. It's certainly worth a read. <laughs> pretty, I, I do it's recommend it. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad to watch the Buffalo media go through and defend that pick. I mean, I get that it's resilient that he had a DUI charge and that uh he came back and he's been a big leader on that team, but Buffalo's uh, I mean, you and I had a conversation earlier today or yesterday. I mean, I I think you categorize it as underachieving. I wouldn't say there's so much underachieved. They just haven't achieved. They just, I mean, they're just kind of there. And I get that Ryan O'Reilly's been a big catalyst for them. He's been really good. And honestly, his brother, they've had his brother up the past third of the season. His brother's been really good, which that's another conversation. But, I mean, the the Masterton uh, Trophy, the the spirit of it isn't, isn't it for someone that almost got thrown in jail? And his, I think his trial's postponed. Like, he hasn't even been, like, formally charged and, like, he's going to jail, but he still could be. Uh, like, the, that's the shit's perks still of the, a, it's still being in the a professional burn. athlete. Yes. Yes. Well, but, like, but, but, and, and how does that compare to the Patrick Kane situation? Like, should O'Reilly be nominated for that? Which I clearly, I mean, clearly we agree that no, absolutely not. Like, uh, a lot of times it's given to the old veteran, like, you know, a David Legwand or something like that on Buffalo. I mean, most of the guys that get nominated don't win it. You get you get someone who definitely deserves it, who wins it in the end. Um, But how does that affect Patrick Kane? Like, is that really uh, – does his off-ice off transgressions have anything to do with the Hart Trophy? I say no. I really – I don't I, – I, I know maybe a lot of women that would listen to this would say, oh, screw you. You know, I, I'm not a – anti I, i'm not an anti-woman person or anything of that nature i just I, the, well the heart tro- or the heart trophy is based upon your value to your team and i mean patrick kane's in that convert i mean he's definitely top three like i said i'd vote for ben but kane's kane's my number two guy there and then holtby like that's i just it is what it is it's, it's it has nothing to do with that but if you're talking about ryan o'reilly 
per, uh, that type of award shouldn't be given to someone who crashed his car into a building drunk as drunk as hell and then just ran off. I would love to see the helicopter video of that dude where that just like steering the car. <laughs> dude hits, hits the building, gets on, just starts running across the highway. <laughs> well, here's here's the deal, and here's what needs to be considered. And this this won't be a very popular statement amongst a lot of people. Um, and to have to get into this in our first podcast is is a little unfortunate. But when you talk about what the Masterton represents. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. When, when you when you talk about what the Masterton represents, you very easily take Brian O'Reilly out of the equation for Buffalo. But you know who gets into that talk? Potentially Patrick Kane. Now he's Ooh. I know, I know, I was I was fully expecting that. But what we have to do, because he was not found guilty, is we have well, to. The, eh, he wasn't found not guilty. Let's 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 hold the brakes on that. He wasn't found not guilty. I can't. I can't. The charge. The charges were dismissed. The charges were dismissed. I can't make. He wasn't any... found not guilty. In in respect to all people that have their opinions on the case, he can't say that he was found not guilty. Okay. All right. <coughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But. If the man didn't do it, the amount of pressure and negativity and, and all of all of the implications that, that went into Patrick Kane's season. I mean, he was taken off the video game cover. For, <laughs> I mean, he went through everything. We almost, they still have Jonathan Taves on there with yeah, his elbows dangling. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> but think yeah. about it. We almost lost. I, re, I remember we were driving in your car in Michigan, and we had this conversation. We might not ever see Patrick Kane in the National Hockey League again. Now, if he did that, I'm completely fine with that. I'm completely fine with that. I don't want that kind of person in our league. Doesn't deserve to be there. Now, if he didn't do that, and all of these allegations were false, then, hear me out, the Masterton goes to a player that goes through some serious shit, some potentially career-ending shit. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Chicago Blackhawks should nominate Patrick Kane for the Masterton. It's 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 too deep, it's too dark. But if if the man didn't do anything, boy oh boy, did he did he go through quite a bit ahead of this season yeah, but and there, come but out of it on top. You can't you can't prove that he didn't. So I No, mean, and I'm not going to I'm not going to try to. But but when we're talking about the Masterton and we're talking about things that that deserve it, we're talking about, you know, personal struggles that people went through. Uh Josh Harding. So how do you feel about O'Reilly? Well, I, I I feel the same as you do. Ryan O'Reilly has been a tremendous asset to the Buffalo Sabres um, on and off the ice. But, they, but he ran into a Tim Hortons. And and that is proven. And therefore, <laughs> <laughs> therefore he should not be uh, <laughs> the player nominated by the Buffalo Sabres. That is no. So... Now that we got past all that, I, I think we should. I think we should move along. A couple of a couple of interesting things happened uh, over the past couple of days in regards to coaches calling out some of their best players. Uh, Patrick Waugh got pretty pissed off about the the Matt Duchesne 30th goal celebration, and Todd McClellan really ripped his team as a whole. Um, where do you want to start? You want to start with Waugh? You want to start with McClellan? Well, I saw that I saw that Duchesne 
celebration. I mean, they were down for nothing about four minutes left in the third against the Blues. And I'll, I'll, I, I've, I take, I honestly applauded the Blues. I, I, I applauded the Blues trade for Anders Nilsson when they traded for him because they needed the help. I mean, we the Blues have had a history of goalie injuries over the years going into the playoffs. Hence, when we saw Brodeur last year down the stretch, you know, it's happened. But last mm-hmm. night they had Anders Nilsson in net, okay? The, the, the Avalanche in the midst of a playoff race, they had lost four out of five games in the midst of a playoff push when if they would have won a couple of those games, they, they'd be sitting where Minnesota is and they'd be in the driver's seat, but they weren't. And they're down. They find themselves down four nothing to St. Louis, playing Anders Nilsson in net. And I got, I got time for Anders Nilsson. I think he's a good goalie, but <laughs> things being things, Duchesne scores a goal with four minutes left, and he does a little jump and pumps his fist in the air. And you know, I I I, uh, I apologize for my lack of research. I don't think Duchesne's ever scored thirty goals in the NHL. He has not. That was his first thirty goal season. I, I would, I would, I would surmise that that was the first time that he scored thirty. Mm-hmm. So I get that he was pumped because he knows his team is out, but it's not a good message to your team because their team actually went out and made some good moves at the deadline, and a lot of people ripped the Mikel Bodker move, and I thought Mikel Bodker's actually played really well for them since since they acquired him. I think Mikel Bodker's going to been a very good fit for them, um, but. For Patrick Waugh to come out and just say, you know, what was that? <laughs> I saw a really funny, I it might have been Dave Lozo. I can't remember who said it. They're like, oh, no, it was Dave Lozo. He said, during the press conference, Patrick Waugh picks up Matt Duchesne and says, what the hell was that? Drops him in the crease, or picks him up in the Statue of Liberty stance, and then drops him in the crease, <laughs> like the Red Wings game, where he picked up that puck in that game where the Red Wings came all the way back and won where he picks up the puck in the crease and drops it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I certainly remember and that. that... <laughs> now, just just uh, so you all are aware, Dustin and I are Red Wings fans. We've always been Red Wings fans. But more importantly, we're hockey fans. We'll watch anyone at any time, and I enjoy watching every team play. Um, when we take a moment to rip a guy like Patrick Waugh, for example... It's not Red Wings bias coming out. In my opinion, I really didn't have a problem with what Duchesne did. It's his first 30-goal tally. He's been playing since 2009. Let's let's keep that in mind. Colorado has been a shit show the entire season. Uh, <coughs> nobody's been very impressed with them. And Matt Duchesne's carried a lot of weight on that team from a very young age. For him to put home 30... I think it's fine if he wants to get excited about it. Now, I think what we're seeing is Patrick Waugh reflecting, even though I think it should be deflecting, not reflecting, some of the blame onto his players when Patrick Waugh might just be the root of the problem in Colorado. The team's been terrible in... in it could be the structure, too. It could be just the makeup it, of that team. There's, well... Well, we can get to the makeup of the team at another date and time. I think we're going to have plenty of off-season discussions about the Colorado Avalanche. But I'm not so sure that Matt Duchesne deserves the brunt of it. And I think what Patrick was trying to do a little bit in that conference, because he didn't blow up. You know, he didn't start no, he picking didn't apart his angry. He didn't yell or anything. But I, I think it's beneficial to him to get some of that media attention off of him. 
because we all know that when Michel Therrien gets fired, he's going to go to Montreal. We all know this. So for now, I'm okay with what Matt Duchesne did. I'm not okay with what's going on in Edmonton. And considering they're about to get uh, Austin Matthews in the draft, what <laughs> what is Edmonton going to do? You've, you've got a clip, don't you, of, of Todd McClellan? Yeah, we'll get that queued up here. I don't know if there's a number big enough for how to how to describe how disappointing that effort is. We've been together for 200 days and um, talked a lot about competing and working hard and, and holding your hand and showing up, and uh, we get that. Um, and that's the exact crap that we're trying to eradicate from, from this group. So... You work hard, you climb, and you climb, and you climb, at least get some foundation, and you give it all back in one night. And we were outshot, we were outhit, we were outscored, we were out face-off, out power-played, out penalty-killed. Our shift length was terrible. They played four games in six nights, and we're going to go for 55-second shifts. Um, we turned a puck over a minute and ten into a shift and then cheated on a change. We had a center change for a center who happened to be two zones away. I don't know how that can happen. So... I guess when you sum it all up like that, that's really disappointing, isn't it? And how important is it for this team to give this town a game to celebrate on? Uh, well, it's, it's damn important. After that crap, damn, damn important that there's an effort. Forget about the win and the loss, but just the effort. That's freaking embarrassing. All right, man. So what, what do you what do you think about what he had to say? Like, what do you think that's inbounds, out of bounds? Like, how do you, how do you feel about McClellan calling him out? Damn to damn damn freaking damn if I'm going to quote damn to damn 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 <laughs> if I'm going to quote Todd McClellan I mean the his voice and his emotions show it all and what I do suggest to you listeners that just listen to the quote I suggest you watch it because what you see on McClellan's face is just pure frustration as a good proven NHL coach coming into a situation that should be much better than what it is and just being utterly frustrated so at this point, we've had this conversation for many a years now as Edmonton keeps accruing these number one overall picks or, or at least high draft picks over the last handful of years. What do you do? What are you doing if you're in charge of the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, I, I think that, I think I think the quote that was most telling, and I, I apologize for repeating, but the quote, and that's the exact attitude and bullshit that we're trying to eliminate here. <laughs> that's the quote right there. Yeah. I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? Sure does. That says it all. That says the whole. That speaks to the whole Oilers culture for the past effing eleven years, man. Like exactly what he said there. This is the bullshit that we're trying to get up on out of here. <laughs> you know, and like, and I honestly thought that when he came in there, it would be different. And I think Ralph Kruger got the screws. I think Ralph Kruger is actually a really good coach, and mm -hmm. I thought that would help. But um, you'd think they'd be better. You really, you really did, and especially with Cam Talbot. And I'm not even gonna knock Cam Talbot. He's played fine. Like he's 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 played fine given that that structure and that situation. He's been um, fine because what 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 you read from McClellan's comments, it's not his goaltending. It's his it, it it's his players. Like they're just not responding. They're not responding to what they need, and it just goes to a, a basic makeup of the team. Like the makeup's not right. They don't have, they don't have they don't have the right players in the right spots. And honestly, they, they it starts from the net out. I mean, they, they've got 
They just they just resigned uh, Laurent Brossois. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he's on a one way deal, so he's going to be their backup goalie, which might not be good for him because he probably needs to get more games in the AHL. But um, they're going to have Talbot, and I think Talbot's a great goalie. I, I just I, I don't like him in that situation, but I, I think he's a great goalie, and they need to build that defense out. And so uh, they they can't trade Eberle at this point. Eberle has been very disappointing the past second half of the season. He's been very disappointing. Um, I mean, what do you get back for what do you get back for Eberle at this point? Well, we all know that like, that a, a trade <clears throat> needs to happen, and that big trade has been looming for you know five, six, seven years. This is a team that's been mismanaged uh, in terms of its personnel and its assets, how they acquire them, and how they distribute them to to other teams and get back the pieces that they need to succeed. This has been a franchise completely incapable of doing that. So it's a conversation that we've had before. It's a conversation that we've had that we'll have again. What do they do? Which pieces do they move? It's a real tough spot to be in because all the guys that that come to to mind that you would easily be able to move, you always have to wonder if you're going to get back good enough return. For what you're losing, you know Ryan Eberle. I like Ryan Eberle. I realize he's not having Jordan a great season. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's next. <laughs> Jordan Eberle. Uh, no, you're not going to get back enough for him. You're not going to get that that top four defenseman that you need for him. But if Eberle goes to the right situation, I mean, plug him in next to John Tavares, for example. Plug him in next to a, a Steven Stamkos. Plug him into a next to a Joe Thornton. I think Jordan Eberle has it within him to score. Oh, he he did earlier in the year. They played him with uh, McDavid earlier in the season. And sure, the, the Pouliot, Eberle, and McDavid line was, was lights out. Yeah, that was fine. It's just that he's been screwing up the last half of the season, and and what's his value now? Like, what do you what do you get for him now? Like, if you're Edmonton as a franchise, like, what do you get back? Well, that, that all comes full circle with, with Nail Yakupov, and that's... It doesn't even need to be said. It's so blatantly obvious. The time that they should have moved Nail Yakupov was in his rookie season when he was delivering. And I realized that's a hard pill to swallow as an Oilers fan, seeing this this new first overall pick come into the league and start scoring goals. But you have to take advantage of your players when they're hot and move them at the right time and get the assets that you need to, to build from in well, the future. Even, even people then could see that he wasn't a good fit there. Well, he's he was he was the odd man out, you know. He was always the odd exactly. Man out. He he was the odd man out. Like that core was the core. He was the odd man out, and there was like you just said, there was a window to get him up out of there and get you know decent return. And mm-hmm. same with Eberle. Like they could have traded Eberle eight months ago, and they would have got the return they were looking for. Certainly. So what you're dealing but, with now, but, but being them, but 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 being the the Oilers, I don't blame them for not trading those guys to see how they mesh with Drysaddle and McDavid. I don't blame them for trying to see what it looked like, what it looked like. Yeah, well, I don't blame them. What you're dealing with now is, you know, you have to move. You have to move somebody. We know this. If they and can, they've all underperformed. The whole yeah, the team as a whole has the franchise as a whole has. Nothing, nothing is going the way that that it should, barring you know your Connor McDavid and your Leon Drysital. Now, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins is a name that's been coming up time and time again. 
Uh, he came up around the Seth Jones talks when Ryan O'Hanson went to Nashville. Uh, Matt Duchesne was another one that came up, and that's another player that, that might be on the move uh, this offseason. And yep. Ryan Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Matt Duchesne are very very similar in, in terms of what they make against the cap and how much time no, they, they have. They're both they're both they're both an even six. An even six. Okay. And they're, they're correct both, me if I'm both wrong. An even six. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think their contracts are line up to be about the same in duration, maybe one or two years uh, off. Duchesne Duchesne Duchesne's up in uh two thousand nineteen, RNH is up at the end of two thousand twenty. So yeah, okay. about the same, but they they're both making an even six. Right. So, potentially, I mean, Steven Stamkos is the best center available uh, this offseason in, in, a, in a different capacity. But, you know, could we yeah. see Matt Duchesne and Ryan Nugent Hopkins actually both get moved? I mean, are they not both legitimate number one centers on most NHL teams? Well, there's a, there's a handful of teams looking for them. I mean, we could list them off right now if you wanted to, but there's there's plenty of teams looking for a number one center. and. And a lot of those teams also have a generous amount of cap space. Now, you might have to debate of whether they have the assets to uh, acquire said players, but, um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, you talk about Steven Stamkos. I mean, what if Stamkos walks in Tampa? I mean, you're going to need a number one center. I mean, Tyler uh-huh. Johnson might not be that guy. Or like, and, and if I'm True. Tampa, I don't want him to be that guy. I mean, it'd be great if he was, but he's also a great number two center. And he's also, you know, so, I, I believe, 26 years old. So he's getting past his prime, and he's looking for a contract as well. I mean, he's going to have to be paid as well. I think next year is his last year on contract. Yep. So you know, if you're if you're Tampa, you know, you know, because Druan hasn't even played a game with the Lightning yet, even given the intri- the injuries. I mean, we don't know what the what the relationship between Druan and the Lightning is going to look like here shortly. We don't know. You know, maybe. Um, Maybe Colorado can send Duchesne to Tampa for Juwan, and then you reunite Juwan with McKinnon. Juwan <laughs> and, and McKinnon back together again, yeah. That like was... I mean, I know, I know that I know that rumor's been beaten like a dead horse, but I mean, I mean, maybe it can because you know Colorado's they are missing the playoffs. They're not making the playoffs. They're they're gonna miss. Like right. it is what it is. They're gonna miss, and some heads are gonna roll. You know, and is Joe Sackett going to fire his boy and Patrick Waugh? Probably not. I mean, or is, you know, like they, they're going to have to do something. Agreed. And yeah. uh, I'm going to go back to the abs real quick. I mean, they got to stop the veteran stuff. Like, I, dude, I love Jerome McGinley as much as the next guy. But bringing Jerome McGinley in was a mistake. And bringing in, like, Brad Stewart, and they've done that stuff. Alex Tangay, you know what I mean? Like, they bring in those guys with those young kids. It's like, dude, you look at a situation like Detroit. Detroit only has Datsuk and Zetterberg. Other than Datsuk and Zetterberg, okay, they brought in Richards for one year, but that was a one-year deal. We can throw that off the books. But well, it worked pretty nicely Datsuk in Chicago. But, but, uh, but, you, you, but you, look at, you look at Detroit and you see Datsuk and Zetterberg. Everybody else is young and finding a spot in the lineup, correct? Yeah. They're, they're trying to figure out what their lineup looks like because when Datsuk and Zetterberg, because Datsuk will be gone before Zetterberg and then Zetterberg will leave shortly after. Well, there's, it, a natural, there's, no, there's, a, there's a natural progression there. And if, so if, they're if you, trying to get their lineup set. If you, read, if you read into it, you know, which you shouldn't do too much of just yet because we haven't, we haven't gotten any official, official news as to what's going to happen, but 
Detroit may well be without Detsuk next year. So there's another team that could potentially be looking for a number one center. I, I do realize that Zetterberg is, you know, legitimately a number one center, but he's not on the right side of, of the fence in terms of, of age. So, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, Duchesne uh, to, to Tampa makes a lot of sense. Uh, Duchesne to but Detroit if, makes if a lot we, of sense, but wouldn't Colorado fans hate that? <laughs> but well, if we if we go back, but if we go back to if we go back to to Colorado, they got to stop bringing those old guys in. They do. You know what yeah. I mean, like what I was trying to draw the correlation to with Detroit was that they need to start getting young guys in the right spot. Like uh, I've actually been impressed with uh, uh, Grigorenko the the past few weeks. Like I've actually watched Grigorenko play. And he he's starting to settle in with them, and that's good. But they need to have more young guys. Like while they've got young guys, like dude, Landis Cogs are one of the, the might be the youngest captain in the NHL right now. Um, they they've got to get young guys settling into spots and like growing, and they're not doing that because every offseason they're bringing in old guys. They brought in Boshman, and I like Boshman, man. Don't get me wrong. I just think he should have stuck with the Ducks. Um, <laughs> like that was the place for him to be. Um, they got to stop doing that stuff, man. They, and, and, and the, and the, and the avalanche, you know, what's the scary part is they only got eight guys under contract for next year on forward. And they that, only got eight forwards on contract for next year. That was my initial thought when you, when you brought up and suggested, uh, Matt Deshane is, is being, you know, a good candidate for other teams. And, and Matt Duchesne's part of those eight forwards. Right. And you see, when when you're when you're looking at Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Matt Duchesne and what they mean to their teams respectively, I think it's it's a tremendous amount in on both accounts. They're they're both solid two way players. They're great down the middle, have playmaking and finishing ability. I mean, Matt Duchesne and Ryan Nugent Hopkins are excellent hockey players. But the problem in Colorado is how do you replace Matt Duchesne once he's gone? You can address other needs on your roster, but when you extract Matt Duchesne, you have to be able to plug someone in that can be even, you know, just a fraction of, of the importance that Matt Duchesne is to that Colorado Avalanche top six. Now, Ryan Nugent Hopkins can be extracted from the Edmonton Oilers and they can plug in another one of these young players like Connor McDavid, like a Leon Dreisaitl, like an Austin Matthews, and just carry on, but Colorado won't have that as an option. Even without Austin Matthews, they even without Austin Matthews, Edmonton would be fine without Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Well, that was a little tongue in cheek, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he, I know. He is we, now. we all get that. I, that's what I'm saying. Is like even without even without like a potential Austin Matthews, which I agree. I, I the, <laughs> the way my the way my guts are churn, and I they're probably going to end up with them, and it's going to make me sick to my stomach, and I'm going to want to punch my computer and my and my daughter and my newborn son. But <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I mean I wouldn't do that, but uh, I might want to. Um, they, but they've got they got the bodies to replace there, and in Colorado they don't. They don't, and that's why even if you do a Drewan for Duchesne type of swap or something like that, I mean, Drewan doesn't replace Duchesne. Duchesne is gnarly. Duchesne is a, a giant talent, and so is Drewan to an extent, but Duchesne's really good, hence why he has a multi-five-year, $6 million contract. He wouldn't be given that contract if he didn't have that kind of skill. You know, like, it's, what do you do? 
but if you're Colorado, that's the this is the this is the this is the 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 dichotomy. Like Edmonton's got the assets to trade to bolster their lineup in the ways that they want to, correct? Yes. They do. They just can't figure out what assets to trade for what. Right. And they've probably overvalued their assets too. But you got a team like Colorado, like what do you trade and what do you get back? Like it's like it's like budget bargaining. You know what I mean? Like what what are you going to get rid of and what are you going to get back because it's slim pickings based on what you got in the cupboard. In in all of the um speculation surrounding Matt Duchesne and the trade deadline this season, I was never of the mindset that Colorado should move Matt Duchesne. And I've never been of the mindset that Edmonton should move Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I think they're both just way too effective for their respective teams. Now, I think we can we can agree on that point for sure, that Edmonton's in a much better position being able to move RNH out and, and fill him automatically. Or fill his roster spot automatically. Oh, yeah. But but Colorado oh, is yeah. Colorado is just screwed. So it's gonna take some <clears throat> it's gonna take a lot of work to, to figure out exactly how to make a move stick. Uh, I think they're gonna have to do it somewhere else in the lineup because Matt Duchesne is just way too important to that franchise. Um now in regards to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, if he were to move, the obvious need or anyone for that matter on Edmonton, the obvious need is for defense. A few teams come to mind for me that have young quality defensemen that could go back uh, in a deal to the Edmonton Oilers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the New Jersey Devils, um, and the Philadelphia Flyers. They all seem to have the right pieces in place to acquire a player from Edmonton and get Edmonton some of the defensive help that they need. Once again, it's going to be be a very difficult ask to to get Edmonton to actually get the deal done, move the player, and and build the defensive core like they need to. Do you see it happening this season? Do you see it being Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jordan Eberle, Nail Yakupov? Do you have anyone that you think is for sure on their way out, or do we take it a step further and say Nail Yakupov, Jordan Eberle? All the players that have been mentioned in in moves are going to be too hard to move. Does Edmonton have to cut ties with a Taylor Hall or, I hate to say it, a Leon Dreisaitl? Because at this point in time, those two players are going to get you back a tremendous amount of return. Well, um, huh. Now, now Yakupov, one good comparison... I won't say great comparison, would be uh, a player like Goodbranson in Florida. That's something I've kind of conjured up in my mind before. They're both top three picks. They've both failed to deliver full expectations. It might be kind of a seamless move, but if you move a Taylor Hall, can you imagine what you could get back? The problem in Edmonton, I'm not sure, is completely on the roster, but it's the losing mentality, and I think that's what Todd McClellan is, is preaching. Uh, what my response is, is that instead of looking at the return, maybe you look at giving up more if you're Edmonton. Like if you're Edmonton, how desperate are you to get to, to get that defenseman that you're looking for? Like, what if you were to package an RNH with a Yakupov? Mm -hmm. Like, what if you were to put them as part of the same deal to like a, 
you know, I hate to say this because it's the easy target, but like a Columbus where they've got a lot of the same type of players. Like they got a lot of two-way players and guys that aren't that fast. You know, what if you were to package an RNH and uh, a Yakupov and ship out like a Scott Hartnell? You know, like Scott Hartnell has been scratched a bunch of times by John Tortorella. And we, I mean, <laughs> I don't even want to get into my thoughts about John Tortorella, but he ain't going anywhere. You know, he's a, he, he was a Davidson and Kekalainen and higher. He's, he's going to be there next season. You got a guy like Hartnell that they might find useful in Edmonton. I'm not saying straight up, just. You know, what if they what if they were to get rid of two of them, like two of the guys, like not the other guys, like you just said, like, you know, what if they gave up a Hall or a Dreisaitl? What if they gave up a Nugent Hopkins and a Yakupov to a team that needs them both and were able to get what they were looking for in return? Would it be worth it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you certainly don't want to fumble now that you've got all these assets and you've got, you know, the, the whole of the NHL world looking at you and ex- fully expecting you to make the right move. You don't want to fumble this play because they're not always going to have all these assets to move. So they have to be nope. careful. They do have some smart cookies up in, in the analytics department right now. So they do need to go after the, the right types of players. Benoit Pouliot is a great example. He's been a great addition to that team. So if they can get a few more players like that on their roster, plug them in, get them next to these young kids and, and get them thriving, that'd be great. My, my, my biggest concern for the Edmonton Oilers right now is that it's a losing environment <coughs> and you're dealing with players that have been around in that environment for too long. And I love Taylor Hall. I think he's one of the best power forwards in the NHL. But I also think that Taylor Hall doesn't represent winning. He never has in Edmonton. And if you moved him, the, the return would be phenomenal. But we can have that conversation again down the road. We'll have, again, plenty of time in the offseason to, to pick that team apart. There's so many different angles to look at it. I love talking about the Edmonton Oilers because when you started the podcast tonight you kind of brought up the fact that we love to play the the general manager's role that's what we love about this sport we like to dissect a team and figure out what a team needs what they could do and and you know kickstart the old trade machine and get the wheels going in our heads and and figure out the best trade scenario so we'll have plenty of time for that do you have any more any more points on the uh, Edmonton Oilers and what they ought to do besides not win no, the draft man, lottery no 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 no, enough. Enough about the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> no, man, no Edmonton Oilers. But what I do want to talk about is this Department of Player Safety nonsense. Uh, we got Duncan Keith and Nazem Kadri taking taking big suspensions. I mean, one obviously has playoff implications and one doesn't. Uh, which guy you want to get into first here? Well, choices, choices. Um they're both pretty egregious hits, in my opinion, but let's take the first, the the worst of the two first. And I think we can both agree that Duncan Keith uh, probably deserved more than a six-game suspension. What do you feel about that? It's not, I mean, it's not the number of games. It's really the, you know, there's that whole double standard with, or not double standard, or, or there's a alternate standard of, uh, what regular season games are worth, what playoff games are worth. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people receiving flack for saying he should, you know, well, we only got one playoff game. It's like, well, yeah, man, you take a look at the Jeff Carter incident from a while back. And 
you know, if you really if you really want to put an end to this stuff, and here's the thing, it's not even that it was a stick infraction to the head, it was that it was an infraction to the head. I mean, dude, he smacked him in the head and he swung his stick at him. Like, he, he legit swung his stick at his head. It was brutal. Like, if it, it was brutal. And, like, he tried to play it off like he was getting up. It's like, dude, hell no. Hell no. Kimmy can't that shit does, that shit. <laughs> no, it was, shit, it was awful. That shit. That shit doesn't fly, man. Like, you can't, like, play that off. Like, oh, I'm just getting up. Let me crack you right across the bridge of the nose and gape your shit open. Like, that that doesn't fly. It doesn't doesn't belong in the game. It doesn't... No, it doesn't belong in the game, and he's done it before. He's he's shown flashes of this behavior before, and the Blackhawks, they've won three Stanley Cups in the past six years. I mean, if you're the NHL or the Department of Player Safety, I... (laughs) Man, I'd make him miss at least three playoff games. I'm saying three. I'd say that I, I'm not talking about total games. Like people, oh, it was a six-game suspension. Six games wasn't enough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the total games. We're so close to the end of the season that I would have just foregone the regular season because what you're doing is you're giving the guy a chance to rest up for the playoffs. I mean, like you're giving his legs more juice. Oh, wait, <laughs> I, I get to miss one playoff game. I mean, this we're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. They'll be able to survive a playoff game no matter who they play without Duncan Keith. Uh, one game, yeah, and their defense is way more solid than it was last year when they won the Cup. We were just talking about that earlier, about how their third pairing was dog shit. You know? <laughs> well, the amount, you know, of, like, the amount of minutes that they leaned on Keith last season – you know that this rest does definitely make a difference for him heading into the postseason. It makes a difference, but yet at this at this juncture, they don't lean on him that heavily this year. Like they have a more complete defense, uh, to a degree. To a degree. Well, I I get what you're uh, saying. These are meaningless games that he's suspended for. Uh, yeah, and and he's he should be out three playoff games. Okay, if you're asking me my opinion, three he should have been out three playoff games. That's my opinion. You know, we have a little uh, a little rule here in the state of Florida, full disclosure to where to where I live, uh, to to our listener or listeners, um, on on gun laws, and it's called ten twenty life, <laughs> and it's 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 pretty it's pretty straightforward, man. There's not much more of a dangerous play in hockey at any level than taking your stick, whether it be by one hand or by two. And swinging it, Weaponizing at, it. <laughs> swinging it at another player's head. And that's exactly what's happened twice now with Duncan Keith. And if the NHL really wants to be big, bad, and bold and, and get headshots out of the game, they have to take these elite-level players that do this stuff, whether it's Duncan Keith or... or uh, McSorley, you know, <laughs> and they, they have to they have to nail him. They have to suspend him long-term. I realize you're talking about an important player, an important franchise, an important market to this league, but if you want this out of the game, you've got to make a stance. And to hit that six-game threshold... It shouldn't matter. No. It shouldn't matter. No, and but it does. To hit that six-game threshold, it, it, what that did is it triggered it the, the, the appeals process. Right. So if you're going to trigger the appeals process from an NHL standpoint, we just went through this with why. You might as well tack on more games. You might as well tack on more games, and you might as well really stick it. Because you can, you can always negotiate down. Exactly. Now we saw how that went with exactly. with Weidman, and I'm sure no one wanted to to approach he, that. He ended season. up serving the whole 20 games anyway. All he did was get his payback. Yep. 
He got his. He got a like. He got like half of his salary back, but he didn't not miss the games. If Dennis Wideman and if can, you're talking, if you're talking about the playoffs, then like, <laughs> if he misses, if Keith misses the games, he misses the games. I don't care what juncture uh, it is in the season and what player we're talking about. A stick to the head has got to be dealt with severely by the National Hockey League, and and it's pretty disappointing. I mean, we're all well aware of the ignorance that exists inside of of the the opinions that matter and the powers that be in the NHL. But it's not a good look for our sport because just like, you know, fighting that results in uh, an injury or concussions gets broadcasted on, you know, major sport net- sports networks in North America, people get an opinion of hockey and that's all they're seeing. And I've been approached by non-hockey people that love to hate hockey for things like this. And I've been approached in this past week by someone that hates hockey and loves to rub it in my face. Did you see that hit? What's the NHL going to do? Well, now I have to come back and defend my sport for giving him six games. No, I won't do it. I think it's egregious. I think it it's it, it doesn't belong in the game. When you look at, at the Nazem Kadri situation, that's a stick to the head, but it's it's a it's a different aim. It's a different approach. I think Nazem well, Kadri. We didn't even we didn't we didn't even get into that yet. No, we, we didn't. But they they both ended up catching sticks in the head. Uh, Glenn Denning and and uh, Charlie Coyle, both. But the aggressive swing from Duncan Keith laying down on the ice, one hand, two hand doesn't matter. These guys are built. They're tanks. He can swing that stick just as hard as a baseball bat and you know hit well, him I mean, in the all, eye. All, all he had to do is watch the replay and look at. All he had to do is watch the replay and look at Coyle's face. Oh yeah, it's rough. I mean, dude, he was he was leaking. He was leaking pretty pretty brutal. You know, like that stick caught him nice nice right along the bridge of the nose. What needs to come out of the collective bargaining agreement, bargaining agreement and this whole process in which is used to to determine how long a player should get suspended is the the injury factor has to be extracted from this ruling. You can't look at this situation and say, "Oh, well, if the player had sustained a, a more heavy injury, a more serious injury, then the suspension would have been longer. That's bullshit. That is complete bullshit. We'll circle back to the Ryan O'Reilly thing and say, oh, well, nobody got killed when he was driving drunk. He just hit a Tim Hortons. The fact of the matter is he, he broke the law. He broke the rules. He's got to pay for it, just like everybody else. If I hit somebody on the street with a hockey stick in the face, you know what's going to happen to me? you got to get this out of the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Nazem Kadri, do you have anything else to say about Duncan Keith? Because I'm pretty much done with the guy. Well, you've said enough, I think. <laughs> um, I mean, this is coming – I hate saying this because it, it's coming from – like, Duncan Keith played for Michigan State. Full disclosure, I live in East Lansing, Michigan. I was born in East Lansing, Michigan. I grew up here. Uh, I'm a huge Michigan State fan, and Duncan Keith played for Michigan State, and I like Duncan Keith. I've been a fan of his since he played for Michigan State, and he's an asshole. <laughs> he's a, he's a dirty he's a dirty player. He's an asshole, and I I, I, I sorry sorry for the uh, for the expletives, but he he he's a dirty player. He just is. We've seen it. We've seen it with the Jeff Carter incident. We've seen it in way in many other incidents in the playoffs. He, he's you know, 
you can't hit people in the head with a stick. And then what I'm gonna what I'm gonna segue into is is Nazem Kadri. And uh, I saw this play. Glendening and Kadri got tied up into the corner. And Glenn Denning actually gave Kadri a nice shot and knocked his helmet off. Like, Kadri, I mean, Glenn Denning did get under Kadri's skin. And the one thing you can say about Kadri is he leads the league in um, penalties drawn. Mm-hmm. Or he's one of the top three. Like, he, he he draws the most penalties in the league. So, like, he knows how to take a hit and walk away. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't lead the league in penalties drawn. So that the skirmish that happened in that corner looked looked pretty intense, and for Nazem Kadri to lose his helmet and then just skate right to the slot and hit Glenn Denning right in the neck with a stick, I can't. I'm not gonna say I give Kadri any leeway. I just for a guy that leads the <laughs> leads the league in penalties drawn and knows how to walk away. For him to have to go after Glenn Denning, part of me thinks that Glenn Denning must have said something to him or Glenn Denning must have pissed him off because I don't think he would have done that. Well, what I've noticed from Nazem Kadri this season, and it's it's pretty well documented that Mike Babcock likes him, Nazem Kadri is playing with a certain level of emotion and aggression and an effort level that we haven't seen from Nazem Kadri before. And I think the difference between the stick to the face of Charlie Coyle by Duncan Keith versus the cross check to the head of, of Luke Lundenning, the difference is, is it was, it was an emotionally driven play, but it was an emotionally driven hockey play. If he had gotten that stick lower, perhaps the, the stick rode up the shoulder a bit. Nazem Kadri is playing the game versus Duncan Keith is laying on the ground taking a cheap shot at a player. Yeah, like there there was there was no room in Duncan Keith's action for a hockey play. No. He was just sitting there and just clocked the guy with a st- I mean it just it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I I used the term weaponized. That's what I, he weaponized the stick. He used the stick as a weapon and smacked the guy in the face with it. Yeah. And- I understand that Kadri Cod- did the same thing. He cross-checked a guy in the neck, but you watch those two plays. You tell me that that Keith that Keith hit didn't have more impact. You know what I mean? Like Coyle was bleeding out of his face. Completely different and, intent and completely different result. Kadri, Nazem Kadri exactly. deserves Glenn, a suspension. Glenn Denning, Glenn Denning came back. Glenn Denning came back the next play and played the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Coyle was busted up. Yeah. No, Kadri definitely deserved a suspension. Once again, I think that the NHL needs to go full bore on all this stuff, and if they want to get it out of the game, they need to make it more. Uh, okay. Just, go ahead, go ahead, they, go ahead. It just needs to be a harder hit for the, for the player. Um, but yeah, they're those two hits so, don't. So line what up. do you mean on like on on? Are you saying that on like on on head on head head infractions in general? Yes. Yes, because that's the like so what Kadri what Kadri did and what Keith did like maybe there should be stiffer penalties on just head infractions in general. Yeah, well that's what the NHL is catching so much flack on right now, you know. And if they want to defend themselves and they want to you know make a statement that yes we're trying to get these these problems out of our game, then then when there is a play directed to the head or the end result is directed to the head, they got to sock it to these guys. But I, I I do think in those two instances Duncan Keith deserves a lot more in in terms of penalty. Okay, so so Nazem Kadri 
He's lost close to a half a million dollars this year in fines. He's had a two or three diving infractions that cross check on Glenn Denning, and then mm-hmm. um, he gave that throw that throat slash gesture earlier in the season. Uh. He's lost a half a million dollars. So, I mean, what's your take on? You know, he's he's an RFA at the end of the year. Like, I know that people want to talk about Stamkos coming to the Leafs, but I mean, Stamkos got his own issues to deal with right now. So, how do you feel about Kadri's role? With I mean, Babcock likes him. You can you can tell by the interviews and whatnot. Babcock likes what he's seen from Kadri, and I've watched a lot of the Leafs play. Like, I I I honestly think that Kadri's taking a big step up. Like he's he he's he's showing it. But in my opinion, he's a he's a good number two center with a lot of high end skill, which a lot of number two centers are defensively uh, specialized, without a lot of high end skill. But he's got a lot of high end skill. But what's your take on on his role with the Leafs? And uh, if you're that new regime of Leafs management, like how do you feel about him? Not where you see him, but like if you're Shanahan, Dubis, Babcock, like what do you see for Nazem Kadri? Sign him. Sign him now. Uh, <laughs> Sign him. <laughs> now, thanks. Now, how, how does the how does the half million dollars affect Nazem Kadri in the offseason? Um, I think maybe he tries to tack on another half million on one of those years to, to reclaim it. You know, the NHL can be so cutthroat sometimes. You know what uh, I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know. We can, you can, you can no, get into that somewhere I'm, else. I'm just but joking. I mean, but I mean, like, but if you're the Leafs, like, what do you assign him to? Like, I mean, he's he's a guy that's shown a lot of emotion. He's taken a lot of fines, and he, he he obviously doesn't show the poise to be a number one center, but he does have the high end skill. Well, like if I'm if I'm the Leafs, he's he's my prototypical number two. But then you got the issue of Bozak. Like ever since Bozak just came back two weeks ago from injury, Bozak's been killing it. He has been killing it, but 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 that's the thing. That's what you want. What if you had like bring in number one center from wherever, whatever it's Stamkos, and then you got Kadri as your number two and Bozak as your number three. God damn, that's <laughs> that's William Nylander. That's heavy hitting right there. Yeah, Zach Hyman can even oh, yeah, play ne- down the yeah, down Nylander. Down the what like what if you got what if you got Nylander there? You got Nylander as your number one, Kadri, and then Bozak. I mean, that's that's pretty great. That's that's. I've always felt That's like Tyler Bozak it. would would make for one of the league's best third line centers. Third lines, mm-hmm. yes, exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. You know, what I mean, like he would be one of the best third line centers because of his face off prowess and his defensive prowess. Yeah, and when he's paired with, paired with the right players, man, he can he can he can score goals off the off the rush. Like, he can play with JVR. Uh, he, yeah, he's shown he can, the ability to play with JVR. <laughs> The, the amount of, of weight that's been placed on Tyler Bozak's shoulders throughout his tenure in, in Toronto being expected to be a number one center. I mean, I think I think everybody knows Tyler Bozak is okay. not a, a legitimate number one center. And I agree no, with you. but he's a legit two. But, like, but the thing is, if you're the Leafs, if you don't get Stamkos and if Nylander isn't ready, you can't put Kadri as your number one. Like, can we agree on that? Like, Kadri... I like Kadri, but you can't pencil him in as number one. Well, for the long term, no. But if if no. if next season, if that's your only choice, and you have to rotate Kadri and Bozak like they did this season, I understand. I don't think you let Kadri go at this point. What we've seen from Kadri this year is a career high in shots, penalty minutes, face-off percentage, and hits. 
Kadri's and he led the league in penalties drawn. He got your team on the power play. Right. So so Kadri and, but 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 what what do the Leafs give him on a contract? Like what does it take for the Leafs to keep him there and for how long? <laughs> well, that's the interesting part of it because Nazem Kadri is he, two, he he he's coming off a bridge deal. Right. But he's 2 years like he's people, 2 you, years you talk away. About a bridge deal. He's coming off of one. He's two years away from losing RFA status and being being a, being a UFA. So right now he needs a contract. He is still an RFA. It's it's hard to know what to lock him up at in in terms of cost. But if you can get him through that and and buy out those RFA years and get him extended to a four or five year contract, I think you do it. You know, here's the here's the real interesting aspect of, of all of this is we're looking at a player that's had a career year for himself in all of the underlying numbers. Nazim Kadri has played the toughest defensive minutes on the team. Uh, amongst forwards, his faceoffs have, have been, you know, decent enough, a .492 win percentage. He's shooting the puck like a madman. And he's been doing a lot of this without elite skill to his wing. JVR has been missing for a while now. So Nazem Kadri is having this great year, but his shooting percentage is .065. It blows my mind every time I look at it. The man has a, a low PDO. He just he, he can't buy a goal. So now is the perfect time if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs to make your point for underpaying him a bit. But they're going to have to pay him whatever... You know, I don't know if it's an arbitra- uh, arbitration settlement or what, but I think you... Dude, he's going to get a... What? I think that arbitration piece is going to come in heavy, man. Like, you could try to undersell him, but I think in arbitration, he'll get way more than you think. How much over $5 million do you think? Well, what's he getting right now? Uh, I want to say he's like 4.1 or 4.2. I'd have to take a look. No, hold on. I'll, I'll take a look right now. We can we can bide a little time here. <laughs> no, nah, we're good. Let me. I'll take a look. I mean, because it's pertinent to the conversation, man. Let me. I got it. I got it right here. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. He's making four point one on a bridge deal. Okay. Four point one on a bridge deal. So, but when that bridge deal was signed, he wasn't playing that well. So. Given his numbers, and he's he's provided great value to the team, and Babcock really likes him, and I'm I wouldn't be surprised if Shanahan and Dubis really like him. They should like him. He's an aggressive, hard nosed dude that has a lot of high end skill. Like and like you you and I just said like or I mean I said it. <laughs> I I think he I think is a top end number two center in the league in the right situation. Mm-hmm. I mean he's a great number two center. Babcock seems and, to know what to do with him. So, and I, I think that's been kind of yeah, his downfall it's before. It's just like, Bo, how much is that? How, but look what they signed Bozak for. Bozak's making 4.2. You know what I mean? Like, and Bozak might be your number three. I mean, like, what do you get? If you're the Maple Leafs and you and you think that you're really going to retain Kadri, what, what's going to get it done? I think what you'll end up having to look at is is what a lot of top end number one and number two centers get around the league. Barkoff slid in around the six million dollar mark, and I would take Barkoff any day over Nazem Kadri, and I, I do like Nazem Kadri. Oh well, hell yeah, because of his defensive ability. Nazem or um, not Nazem Kadri, but Nathan McKinnon is also due for a contract, and I, I think Nathan McKinnon's camp probably hated 
the contract that that Barkov signed because they're looking at that. Oh hell yeah! And and saying, yeah, boy oh boy, that's contract. that's right about where we're going to be. So if if I'm looking to ink Nazem Kadri, um, I'm paying him five. 5.2, 5.5, and I'm trying to get him past that that uh, RFA status. But if he wants to bridge at that amount or slightly above it on a bridge two-year, get him through his RFA status and, and into potentially being a UFA, fine. Because Nazem Kadri, for as much as, as he's improved as a player, I don't think you can invest at too high of a cap, cap hit long-term, considering the amount of young players that they have coming up in the system. I think Kadri's important. Well, they're, they're going to they're gonna have a lot of cap room available, so honestly, your, your take might be correct in that um, they could actually afford to overpay him on a bridge deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then what are they left with? Like, I mean, especially if, if Stamkos if comes a, into town. They they they're gonna well, have no, players. Let's, let's, let's wipe all like wipe all that out. Like, uh, it, it they could they could pay him up to six million dollars a year for two years. You know what I mean? They could, and it wouldn't mess up their cap situation. For sure, they it could. just wouldn't. They could. Is he worth that? I don't. I mean, I'd I don't cap th- him at like five point five point three, maybe five point three. Yeah, five three five five is about as high as I'd go. At this point, yeah, but but if you're talking about only committing two years, then yeah, okay, I'd give him five seven, five eight, or something on a a bridge deal. Which I I think I think Kadri really wants to be in Toronto, so I think he would take it. Oftentimes, you see players in contract years come up with some of their best numbers, and we've seen this effort level and this improvement from Nazem Kadri, and I mean, rightfully so. Well, I think He's, a lot of it has to do with Babcock. No, I do too. But my point is, is we've seen he's got he's setting career numbers. I mean, not goals. He just like I said, he he's shooting the puck a lot, but he's not shooting it from the, from the right areas, um, or he's just getting unlucky. You know, however you want to slice it, it's not happening. Well, they've for also him. had a lot of injuries, and he hasn't had much help. No, he hasn't. Like he he hasn't had he hasn't had JVR or Kessel. Think about that. Yeah, that's it's it's pretty. And both and Bozak's been injured. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. The, like, think about think think about the roster he's had, and he's had a very good year. Well, <clears throat> it's it's too bad to say this about Kadri because we've said it before, and and he he got this last time he signed a bridge deal. But if Kadri expects to be paid, then they're gonna have to bridge him again and get him to UFA status because you can't invest long term yep. in a player that is yet to fully fulfill all of his promise he's a hard-working player he's got skill um he he does have a high ceiling but this is a franchise that isn't depending on his age and his current position in the national hockey league to carry them for the long term they've got options they've got cap space they've got a shit ton of picks coming up so i think you, you, you've got nylander they got mitch marner they've got those guys yeah yeah so i think you you just you get him signed um, if it's a if it's a moderate cap hit and you can take him through that RFA status, get him for four years, that'd be great. Um, but a two year bridge deal at a slightly higher cap hit wouldn't bother me a bit. Nope. Well, uh, <laughs> I would say that I wouldn't say that our inaugural episode here has gone swimmingly. Or uh, <laughs> you want to call it know, on man. you want to call it on Kadri? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, we're we're calling it. I just don't. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> uh, well, 
it's, we hope we we hope we can make this a uh, enjoyable experience for you guys, and we're gonna give you nonsense hockey talk. You know what I mean? From from what you've heard from our uh, topics and points here, like we're we're not we're not trying to give you biased biased stuff and get too much into the social media aspects. Like we're just trying to talk raw hockey, raw hockey without a bag, if you want to put it uh, <laughs> put it kind of <laughs> grossly, but. Um, well, it's it's gonna. You know, we we appreciate it. We appreciate the we appreciate the listens. We appreciate uh, the shares. We're gonna be putting this up on SoundCloud, on iTunes, uh, probably up on Stitcher and uh, TuneIn. So anything you can help us with, comments and ratings, uh, anything would be appreciated. And uh, you know, we we love the attention. So thank you guys. I'm Dustin. I'm Kendall. It was good talking to you. All right. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one.